Welcome to Pop Culture Rx, part of Hackensack Meridian Health's award-winning podcast. Pop Culture Rx is where we sit down with a medical expert and talk through various health-related topics circulating in today's media. In our discussions, you'll hear from a variety of professionals sharing insight and advice on these newsworthy conditions. This is Pop Culture Rx. Millions of people struggle with infertility each year, including some of your favorite celebrities. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, about 10% of the female population, which is around 6.1 million women, between the ages of 15 to 44 are struggling to get pregnant. Today, I am here with reproductive endocrinology and infertility specialist, Dr. William Zegler, affiliated with Jersey Shore University Medical Center. Thanks for being here, Dr. Zegler. And thank you very much for having me. So let's talk a little bit about fertility. What are some of the signs? Well, it really depends upon the maternal age. And what I mean by that is, if a woman is less than the age of 35, and they've been engaging in regular relations without protection, and they're not pregnant, and then after that, and just after those 12 months, they really should seek assistance. If you're over the age of 35, we, may, we kind of look at it as they need a six-month trial because we want to expedite their care as quickly as possible. But we're seeing an increase in infertility. And I think it has to deal with um, many different um, etiologies. The first is that there's more couples, including men, putting off childbearing till later on in life. They want to make sure in which they have the perfect job, the perfect house, the perfect car. Now they're ready to have a child. And by that point in time, the maternal clock kind of dictates how successful they are going to be. And even there's more women that are going into um, the workforce and they're putting off childbearing to later on in life. They want to get those advanced degrees. They want to advance in their job, find their place within society. And now they're ready, but now they're 43 or 44, mm -hmm. which now the fertility is somewhat compromised. The other thing is that we now have technology that people feel that we can overcome any problem. We have in vitro fertilization. We have intracytoplasmic sperm injection, which helps men who are deemed subfertile in the past are now able to have a genetically similar child. We now have pre-implantation genetic testing where we can check embryos for genetics. And people think that we can do that really at any time, when in reality, we really can't. So the so I think that's part of it also. Mm -hmm. And I think social media is really playing a big role because in the past, infertility was quote unquote taboo to talk about. It was not brought up. And now when Kim Kardashian just wanted to freeze her eggs, our office was inundated for basically two months about women wanting to freeze their eggs. So I think social media has also played a big role in bringing women as well as couples to the forefront to seek medical care for infertility when they would have held themselves back in the wings and not seeked medical attention. Absolutely. And, I, and you bring up a great point about social media because Chrissy Teigen recently lost one of her children and she went through a whole series of IVF in order to conceive and, and she really brought her fans through that journey from social media. So it was so much more out in the forefront of the world because she was posting mm -hmm. about it. And I think that's quite important that people have to realize 
that when fertility patients are going through treatment, they feel they are alone. When they have miscarriages, they feel they are alone. They have nobody who can relate to what they're going through. And then a story like that really brings it, brings it where, okay, I'm not alone. It's not abnormal. Um, in, and just, just what I'm feeling is normal, mm-hmm. that I'm not abnormal. So I think that's very important because the medical part of infertility treatment is pretty straightforward. It's the psychological part. It's the emotional roller coaster in which these patients have to go through to basically and just have a child. So when we're trying to get pregnant, and I'm speaking we're because I'm a woman as well, what are some things that we should maybe avoid when we're trying to conceive? One, age. Well, I'm not sure if you can really avoid age. Well, not age, avoid age, but, but, but try at a younger age. I think it's more or less that there is no, when, when people say, I'm looking for the right time to have a child, I'm not sure if there's really a right time. It's when it's right for you. And it may be right for you at the age of 26, maybe 36, maybe 46. Um, but I think knowing that for infertility starts to raise its weary head when a woman is over the age of 30 and we start seeing a decline in fecundity or the ability to conceive, I think at that point in time, if it's even on the horizon to maybe get evaluated or if you have irregular cycles, maybe seek medical attention sooner. Um, if a man has had any general trauma or it maybe infertility may run within his family or there's a genetic issue, um, then again, seeking medical attention earlier would that it would really facilitate um, the decision making process of whether or and whether I should get pregnant now or can I wait two or three years? And you mentioned actually the freezing of eggs and how your office was inundated after it kind of came out in the media. Is there an appropriate time to start thinking about that? We start seeing the quality of eggs are really affected um, in and within the egg freezing process when, when a woman is over the age of 38. So before the age of, before the age of 38 is, would, would be the optimal time to crowd preserve eggs for future fertility uh, potential. And how likely are you to become pregnant after you've froze your eggs and then now you're looking to have a baby? Well, I think we need to take a look. I just want to take a step back for sure, and, and just for one second. When a woman wants to freeze her eggs, mm-hmm. we have to think that out of every three to four eggs we thaw, we'll probably get one good quality embryo for transfer. And it really is dependent on the quality of that embryo. That if we transfer an embryo created from an egg when a woman is less than less than the age of 35, you're looking at a 60 to 65% implantation rate. So it's pretty high. Um, and then as a woman gets older, of course, that it does decrease. But we have to take a look at, okay, when do you plan on using these eggs? Because then that's also something else that works into the equation, um, specifically with freezing, mm-hmm. with uh, the cost of freezing. Um, as well as when we go through the process, we want to make sure that we get enough eggs so they have the potential to have two, three, maybe four children. So we have to guide our stimulation in that fashion. So you mentioned, you know, timing and how long you would freeze the egg. How long can the egg stay frozen for? 
Um, we started the egg freezing process is quite new within the last 10 years. Um, embryos, um, the longest that an embryo has been frozen and was transferred and resulted in a pregnancy was 27 years. Wow. And that was in an embryo adoption agency. And it was transferred into a woman who was 24 years old. So actually the embryo was older than what the mother is. Yeah. So um, our freezing process has been quite refined. And then over the years, we went from what's called slow freeze to rapid freeze. So it gives us a, it gives, gives us a better survivability mm-hmm. and then of eggs and, and just as well as embryos. Wow, that's very interesting. And so now I'm, I'm thinking of something else. What about birth control? Could that harm a woman's chances of getting pregnant in the future or make it a little harder than it once was? People think that, but in, but in reality it doesn't. Um, even though a woman is on birth control, she is still somewhat cycling. She's still developing follicles, but the follicles don't produce a lot of estrogen. The follicles do not get the point, and they don't get to the point in which they ovulate, or they could. You can ovulate on, you can ovulate and just on birth control. But the main, the main way birth control pill works is really makes the uterine lining hostile. So even if an embryo is created, it does not implant. And it can suppress the LH surge or the ovulation. Um, but being on birth control pills does not appear to affect fertility. Oh, that's good to know. And I mean, we are in the time of COVID and the COVID vac- when the COVID vaccine first came out, everyone was worried about infertility, including myself, actually. Is there any truth about that? There is none. Um, in reality, the American College of Obstetricians and and gynecologists actually advocate for women that are looking to get pregnant and those who are pregnant to get the vaccine. Mainly because when, and when a woman is pregnant, she's already immunosuppressed. So if she catches COVID, it's going, it's going to affect her seriously. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it could also affect the baby. So it is recommended by the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, as well as by the American Society for Reproductive Medicine, that women get the vaccine. That was one of my main fears when the vaccine came out and thinking about, okay, well, I'm 28 right now and I wanna have children in the future. What's this going to do? So what are some fertility options? So we know about IVF, are there any others? I think IVF is probably the one that is most publicized. Mm -hmm. However, there are other options. Um, We can start off with, well, I think, let me me talk about a couple coming into our office. Sure. And let me kind of open up that black box that people don't know what we do in this office. So when a couple schedules an appointment, um, we like to have both partners there, but in many cases, the male partner is not there. And in some cases, I think they, I think they're afraid we're going to have them produce a sample right there and <laughs> and just on the spot, um, with everyone watching. Yes. So, <laughs> um, what we'd like to do is we meet with both partners and we'd like to obtain an accurate history of medicines and surgeries, um, and just and just get a better idea of what's going on with them medically, and then we go into their infertility history. How long have they been trying? What and just what is his, and just what are her cycle lengths? Um, and then after we get that information and, and we do a physical exam, we then order blood work. And when we 
look at an infertility couple. We kind of need three pieces to this puzzle to give us the picture of what we're dealing with. The first is sperm. And the second is we want to make sure that the woman's uterus is normal. There's no polyps, no fibroids, and which there's no scar tissue. We want to make sure the tubes are both open. And then we actually want to find out what is her ovarian age. And even though somebody's 28 years old, how do we know their ovaries are acting 28 and they're not acting 38 or 48? Oh, talk a little bit about that. How, how would that even work? Well, the ovaries are like a little computer. It has a program. It knows when your period's going to start. It knows when your period's going to end. But different things can throw off that program. Surgery, radiation, therapy, uh, chemotherapy. We know that infertility in the city is higher than in the suburbs, and we believe it has to do with car exhaust or automobile exhaust because dioxins that are in the exhaust can really play havoc with the ovaries as well as testicles. So we can get a blood test in the first part of a woman's cycle to kind of tell us where do we stand? Where, where do we have to go with treatment? So if I have someone who's 28 years old and their ovaries are acting 28, I'll treat them one way. But if their ovaries are acting older, I have to be more aggressive. And then that's kind of where we need to um, address the different therapies. And it could be as easy as you need to time relations better. Sometimes we have couples that come in and, and, and just he's a and, and he's a pilot and she is a stewardess and they may not even be in the same hemisphere and at the <laughs> time she's ovulating. Or um, work schedules, or maybe they don't have an idea of, okay, when should we have relations? And that's where education comes into play. So we can be as conservative as just educating them. The next is if there's a male factor issue or if we're using fertility drugs to help improve her ovulation either oral medications or injectables, we can do that along with inseminations. And they can still have relations. We don't take that away from people. So we like to encourage that also. But um, getting as much sperm up in the uterus around the time of ovulation, using fertility medications, and like I said, it could be as conservative as a medication like Clomid or Letrozole, which are oral medications, or it could be as aggressive as the injectable fertility drugs. And then comes IVF. And that's where we retrieve eggs. We create embryos outside the body and we put them back into the woman's uterus. So IVF is almost like your, not your last option, but the most extreme option. It is the most extreme, but then we actually go further than that. We can go in that, that if a woman is older and maybe her eggs are not of good quality, then we can consider egg donor. Um, if a man's sperm is not healthy or maybe they are or maybe they are not making enough sperm well then they can look at a sperm donor or there's also embryo adoption agencies where people have donated their embryos when they're done with their fertility um, dream um, and now people can adopt the embryos so there are some other options out there um, not everybody who walks in this office is and which they're going to be told they need IVF or they need pre-implantation genetic testing. And we can be as conservative as a couple wants or as aggressive. I, th I, I think of my role as giving them the options, the pros and cons, success rates, and they have to feel comfortable. Like I mentioned before, the psychological part of this is really a big factor. And they need to be comfortable in doing something. So I have patients that 
I have one that's 42 years old and she really needs in vitro fertilization. She's just not ready, so she's still doing inseminations. She knows her success rate is low, but she's not ready to take that step and she understands that. And that's where we work as a team, the patient as well as the doctor. The doctor can give the options, the patient has to be comfortable with what they choose. And also price. As you grow within this process, does the price get bigger and bigger and bigger? Well, you have to realize that New Jersey is one of 15 states that are called mandated states. We have insurance coverage in this state. However, it is really only offered for those that um, work for companies that are based in New Jersey and they have more than 50 employees. There can be no religious conflicts. Um, and they're not self-insured. And then you're under the mandate. And the mandate means you have unlimited IUI coverage and you have four IVF retrievals covered. Wow. And unlimited embryo transfers, but they don't cover for freezing. But again, you have unlimited transfers. So in those patients that have coverage for that, well, then it makes it pretty easy because it takes the variable of the cost or yeah, the insurance coverage out. out of the picture. And then we just have to address um, a woman's emotional battery. Where is she? And that will then drive the train into where we're gonna be going. As opposed to those that have limited coverage, they only have diagnostic coverage. So when we talk about treatment, now you start talking, it becomes pretty pricey. We'll start off with somewhat, somewhat which is conservative. Um, and then if that doesn't work, then we talk about the more aggressive treatments. And, and there are, and there are many different programs out there, which I know we're in and which we're part of to help offset the costs of this. We'd rather them not um, have to take out a second mortgage. Yeah. Okay. So we try to make it and then as affordable as possible. But plus, we don't want to waste their time either. And we have to give them realistic expectations. Yeah. And I feel like you mentioned, you know, their fertility dream. And cost is such a big component of it and kind of removing that component probably makes their decision a little easier in terms of which route they can go. It gives them more option. That is correct. And I think that's part of our job too, is to, and then like I said, explain that to them that this is what I would do, but because of the way your insurance is, that's, this is going to cost you this, or you can increase your pregnancy rate by doing this and you'll get a bigger bang for your dollar. Plus, we're not wasting your time because many couples that come into our office, they wanna be pregnant yesterday. And how do yeah. we get a woman back on her timeline? I realized after doing this for 20 plus years, every woman has a timeline. <laughs> they and do. And how do we get them back on that timeline? Because if they were on their timeline, they would not be in this office. You're so right. Every little girl dreams of the day that she gets married and if she wants kids and what age. And, you know, I, I can attest to that myself because when I was younger, I thought I'd be married and have kids by at this point at 28. And now I'm like, oh, my God, I can't even imagine that. Mm -hmm. So every woman has a timeline. You're so right. So is there anything women can do to make their IVF process more successful. So background, as I did some research for this podcast, 
there were two things that came up in terms of making IVF more successful. And two of those things were acupuncture and eating pineapple cores. Okay. Is there any truth to that? So let me start with the pineapple core. <laughs> um, there's also, um, you may have heard about after a woman has a transfer, she goes out and she gets McDonald's French fries, and that's supposed to help increase her pregnancy rate Ooh, too. I like that one. However, there is no, there's no validity to that. With regard to acupuncture, acupuncture, I can't say anything bad about acupuncture. I can't say it's going to definitely increase their success rate. There are studies out there that show that it may increase uterine artery blood flow, and therefore that may help. However, we do know that it reduces stress. And we know that stress is not good no matter where you are, whether you're in whether you're in the infertility realm or whether you're in your life. Yeah. Um, anything that's going to reduce stress. And there are specific time points in an IVF cycle that we kind of recommend maybe having acupuncture, mainly around the time of the retrieval and the time of transfer. Because again, you want to reduce stress. And even though retail therapy is good, it gets quite expensive. So therefore, um, that acupuncture, I think, is beneficial for those that really need to relax or those that are very stressed about the situation which is basically I think all I think that all of our patients are um, but everybody deals with stress differently but I think reducing that I think is a benefit so realistically it doesn't have to be acupuncture it could be going for a run or a massage or something that's stress relieving yes but uh, when we talk about activity let's talk about cardio activity because we have a lot of patients who are runners mm -hmm. or those um, that do a lot of cardio. We really don't know the effects that that has on the uterus and the ovaries. We know that you probably have eaten and gone out running and got cramps and then you stop running and the cramps go away. Well, that's because blood gets shunted away from your stomach because you don't use your stomach to do cardio. Well, you don't use your uterus and you don't, and you don't use your ovaries either. So what we tell our patients that if they want to do any exercise, isolated muscle groups are fine, like, like free weights. Mm -hmm. However, if they're going to do any cardio, I recommend mall walking. And that's basically it. And that's at least in the first 12 weeks. After they leave us and they go to their OB, I leave it up to that physician's discretion of what do you tell your patients. But for the first part, we really don't know the impact that it has, so we'd rather kind of um, keep it calm during the first 12 weeks so and nice during treatment. boardwalk walk. There you go, yes. So how likely is IVF to result in a baby? It all depends on the patient's age, depends on their ovarian age, and the quality of the embryos. So I was talking before that if a woman is less than the age of 35, implantation rates around 60 to 65%. As a woman gets older, it does decrease. But now we have the ability to check embryos, check embryos for genetics. Because as a woman gets older, we know there's a higher incidence for genetic abnormalities, such as Down syndrome, Edwards syndrome. And these are called trisomies, meaning you have three copies of one specific chromosome, when you should only have two. And we know that as a woman gets older, 
there are five specific chromosomes that just don't want to separate as you get older. And that's chromosome 13, 15, 16, 18, and 21. So those are ones that are associated with pregnancy losses. So if a woman is over the age of 38, doing pre-implantation genetic testing, where we biopsy the embryos for genetics, pull off five or six cells, send them off for genetic testing, we can then know which embryos are genetically normal and abnormal. We can also tell gender. So if a patient wants to have a girl or want a boy, or if they come in for what's called family balancing, we don't call it sex selection anymore, <laughs> it's family balancing, that we are able to do that. But by doing that, it does increase their, uh, their pregnancy rates. So it takes out the, the, the possible genetic component that could cause a miscarriage or, or would cause a IVF cycle to fail. And before we wrap up today, family balancing, I've never heard of such a thing. So you can, I'm guessing that's if the woman froze her eggs or just like... If we have a couple that come in and they have two boys and they want a girl or they want one or they have a boy and they want a, or or they have a girl and they want a boy we are able to help them have that by doing pre-implantation genetic testing and how does that even work when a couple goes through in vitro fertilization we have these embryos and we grow them out to what's called a blastocyst stage and at that point we can biopsy them we make a little hole and we pull off five or six cells and then we freeze the embryos. And then we send those cells we pulled off for analysis. So then we can tell the couple, okay, what do we have for them? But in reality, pre-implantation genetic testing has been around for a while now. And I think the big benefit is to isolate genes that can cause disease, such as cystic fibrosis, um, spinal muscular atrophy, um, Huntington's, Tay-Sachs. So we can detect a laundry list of genetic abnormalities in an embryo. And what really, that, that really surprises me that we have the ability yeah. to eliminate a genetic disease from our society. That's amazing. The problem, insurance don't, doesn't feel the same way. And therefore, insurance companies a lot of times do not cover it. So it's very expensive. It's not as expensive and then as it was. It, that has come down in price. But, um, but it is available for patients. So we did have a couple that came in and they had a child that had cystic fibrosis and passed away. But they were both carriers of cystic fibrosis. So they didn't want that to occur again. So we, they actually went through in vitro fertilization. We biopsied their embryos. And out of 10 embryos... Um, two of them had no genes at all for cystic fibrosis, and we transferred one, and she got pregnant. Wow. So we've now eliminated that gene for that child. Um, so I think you know it's one of these things that um, there's a there's a big benefit to the to the technology and in in, in which we have, um, and I think it it can be used to help um, the longevity and then of our race. Um, it's just getting to that point. That's amazing. Thank you so much for, for teaching us about fertility and not to eat pineapple cores and for being with us today, Dr. Zegler. Thank you very much for having me. 
If you have a topic you'd like for us to cover, submit your ideas on hmh4u.org backslash podcast. Your suggestion could be included in the You Asked For It special episodes. The material provided through this Help You podcast is intended to be used as general information only and should not replace the advice of your physician. Always consult your physician for individual care.